Hello and welcome to the Trinity Fit Over 40 podcast with me, Rob Burkhead. Today's episode is an interview with pelvic health physiotherapist and author of the fantastic book Strong Foundations, Claire Bourne. Now in today's episode, we talk about the importance of pelvic health, as well as the many myths out there, especially about pelvic health around menopause. Now, poor pelvic health can lead to incontinence, which can then make it scary to exercise or even go out the house for fear of some sort of accident happening. But other issues can also arise that you may not be aware of, such as constipation, prolapse and pain during intercourse, and many more things beside that as well, all linked to pelvic health. Now, a lot of people put this down to just aging and or menopause, but it really doesn't have to be that way. And it's not just due to those things. And there's a lot of things you can proactively do to help improve your pelvic health and then reduce or eradicate these issues entirely, even as you get older. Now, whilst we cover a lot in today's episode and we're gonna reveal all of that today, if you'd like more info on anything to do with pelvic health, I'd really encourage that you check out Claire's book, Strong Foundations, which you can find on Amazon or on Audible or check out her website, claire-born.com, or her Instagram, Physio, and that's Claire without an I, so with no I, and B-O-U-R-N-E, so Physio. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Without further ado, let's get stuck in. Awesome. So Claire, I know you're a, a pelvic health physiotherapist. So for the benefit of people listening, the first thing I want to kind of do is rewind a little bit. So how did you you end up specializing in this field, especially in, in pelvic health? Yeah, great question. I get that asked in clinic all the time. People are like, how did you end up here? Um, so I did a physiotherapy degree, like I think most of us would probably associate more with kind of like sporting injuries or things like that um and then as a junior physio once you graduate you end up having experience in all different areas so I was based in the NHS um did like neurology and I did sports injuries and I did a bit pediatrics I did a little bit of everything but actually my first ever job was in pelvic health so it's not actually at, at, at the time when I trained we didn't have any pelvic health training at university so it was like proper sink or swim there was I didn't even really know what the pelvic floor was until my first day so had an amazing team that supported me and I sort of just fell in love with it I thought it was just such a fascinating area um so I did that first then I did other areas and then I went back to pelvic health and kind of just moved my way up in the NHS uh, before I then um went to private practice um, and then I had my own kids along the journey so it kind of was all kind of weaved in but that's how I've ended up here and I know um for people who haven't read your book yet which I recommend they would you had some specific pelvic floor or pelvic health challenges quite you know quite unexpectedly I think post-pregnancy is that right? Yeah absolutely so I was diagnosed afterwards so I was 28 when I had my first child which I think nowadays is called relatively young I was sort of treated a bit like a teenage pregnancy I was like you know it's such a funny thing with maternity because if you're over 35 like now I'm 35 if I had a baby now I'd be sort of told that I'm geriatric so we don't really allow women I think much grace period for when they have their children but I was relatively young um and then after the birth of my daughter I was diagnosed with what we call a pelvic organ prolapse which is basically where one of the vaginal walls becomes more stretched um and can fall down and it it, it there's a whole variety with prolapse but obviously I knew this could happen it was probably one of my biggest fears and the irony being that that's what obviously then happened um 
but I think and I, I talk about this in the book I think there's lots of bits that weaved into my story and I think that's what's really important for everyone on a pelvic health journey is that even though it's very easy to you could blame like the birth as the whole picture actually for me when you look back I think there was various things that were weaving into kind of how I ended up with that diagnosis now I live on so it's now seven years my daughter has just recently turned seven and I basically live asymptomatic even though I think on examination you would agree that there were still some changes there and I think that's a whole conversation that women need to hear because actually in the same way that the tissues in our body change especially as we age you know I think we all can associate our face skin changes maybe after children our belly skin changes and and actually once you understand that there's actually a tissue change but it doesn't have to lead to full-on dysfunction or a lifelong of symptoms or a barrier to exercise and you know how to do things correctly and safely it's a lot more freeing but unfortunately I think how we talk about prolapse at the minute still and have little awareness of it is that it can feel like it's the end of the road for a lot of things for women and when that's happening at 28 that's a quite sad and scary prospect yeah I bet that's as you said it's because because you see it all the time working in that field and then you go oh, that's the thing I maybe want least we can't pick and choose no. <laughs> what happens with age and I think that's a, a critical thing talking about menopause as well um we have a lot of clients coming across things for the first time whether it's mm. the first time they've had issues with weight or the first time they've had issues with pelvic floor dysfunction mm. so I want to talk about what is the pelvic floor and that might sound really obvious to someone like you who works in it all the time but I'm sure you hear this all the time as well and there's some great analogies in your book but to someone who's listening who thinks I don't even know if this is something for me like do I need to worry about it or have mm. the issues been linked to the pelvic floor what would you say to that like what is how would you describe the pelvic floor yeah so the pelvic floor are a group of skeletal muscles so what I mean by that is in the same way as your bicep or your tricep or your quad or your hamstrings things we're more familiar are hearing about that we want to exercise when we work out so then they're made in the same way but they're just a lots of little muscles that sit in the outlet of our pelvis so I think most of us can imagine what our pelvis is and the female and the male pelvis is not that different it's just that our outlet at the bottom is bigger because essentially women are designed to birth babies vaginally so the anatomy and the name of the muscles is the same, but they just look slightly different. But essentially these muscles, I mean, I always think of all the muscles in the body, they totally tell us where they are. Whereas the biceps, you're kind of like, well, where is that? You, you know, you learn that it's in the arm, but the pelvic floor literally make up the floor of the pelvis. So if you can visualize the hole at the bottom, they basically cover that. Now the pelvic floor is the muscles, but it's also the connective tissues and the ligaments and kind of the nerves that make up and support this area and they have five really key roles which I think a lot of us take for granted they keep us continent they help to support our pelvic organs they contribute to sexual pleasure they help with the kind of overall control and stability of our spine and pelvic area what we call like lumbo pelvic stability um, and they also help to uh, pump blood and lymph around the pelvic area again things that you totally don't think about but if they weren't happening I compare it a bit to like when you have an ankle injury and people like move your foot up and down and get that calf muscle to pump the blood around and it helps with the swelling management. Essentially, the pelvic floor does that for our pelvic region. Again, not something that you'd think about until it was a problem. If it wasn't there, we'd probably all struggle a little bit more. So tiny group of muscles, but really, really vital. I think it's important as well that we understand that there are different muscles. It's not just like one muscle, like a bicep. It's lots of little muscles that make up the pelvic floor. So it's kind of a bigger kind of a bigger picture but yeah phenomenal group of muscles doing some very important things until they struggle and then we might be like oh we should have been doing them I think what's important with pelvic floor exercise though they get introduced at various times say postnatal or 
you hit menopause and everyone or perimenopause and everyone's like oh you're doing your perfect for exercises ultimately are something that if we're being preventative which really ideally in healthcare we should be talking about more rather than being reactive and in the same way I say to people you know I don't I don't work out because I have a problem <laughs> I work out because I want to prevent some problems as I age like I lift weights yeah. now because I want to look after my bone health so in the same way I'd love that principle. in the same way I brush my teeth to prevent fillings not once I've got a filling so if we can do pelvic floor exercise and become familiar with these muscles and just bring it into our routine, into our exercise, into our day-to-day life, we're then working to prevent problems. And I think that is a really important message. We don't have to be incontinent before we find out about our pelvic floor. We should find out about it first and hopefully prevent those symptoms. And I think it's a trickier one. I think for whatever reason, whether it's vanity, which I don't think is always a bad thing, but we, we're more, more aware of like our outer body changing, mm. especially the clients we work with around menopause they're where oh yeah. my bum maybe flatter and <laughs> yeah or my arms feel like you know less defined or like mm. there's that whatever you want to call it developing people are quite aware of seeing that happen with age and mm. you can obviously train to to counteract that but I guess yeah. the, the challenge you've got with the pelvic floor is you can't see it until maybe there's some se- more serious symptoms mm. um so what what are those kind of most common symptoms? I think the the one that mm. I thought of before reading your book, it, it was just like urinary incontinence was the only thing I thought was the issue really, or maybe not being able to um, to go to the loo. You know, some issues around that. Um, yeah. Well, but what what are kind of the most common symptoms that you see, or what are all the symptoms? I don't know if there's enough if time to go through. All of them. <laughs> Let's give a brief overview. So I guess the main if we think about bodily systems that they're kind of responsible for. So yes, you, you touched on a really key and common one of urinary incontinence. And that can be during like cough, sneeze, laugh or exercise like jumping or lifting weights, or it can be well, with an urge to go. And they're different types of incontinence. Um, and that's just bladder. So it also influences your bowels. So we've mentioned kind of allowing you to be able to do a poo, but also being able to hold in. So again, it can be either end of the spectrum. Um, equally with your bladder, your pelvic floor can be um, relevant if you're also finding yourself going more urgently or frequently. Now, menopause, it's actually quite common to have more symptoms of urgency and frequency. And that may not just be down to your pelvic floor. That can be due to the estrogen changes in the vulva and vagina as well. So that's where we have to kind of look at things from all angles. But, you know, some people can think, oh, well, I'm fine. My bladder's fine because I'm not leaking. But there are other symptoms that don't just relate to leaking. And I think that's really important. Um, Our sexual well-being, our sexual health. So a common thing that I support people with is pain with intercourse. And again, that can be at any point in life. That can be very, very young until the end of our life. And especially those perimenopausal years, again, when that estrogen starts to decline. And that doesn't have to be once your periods have gone. This can be in that perimenopausal period, which we were discussing before we started. You know, it's kind of worth seeing it kind of probably starting earlier and earlier um yeah. potentially or is it starting earlier or we're just aware of it now so you know i think we just dismissed women's symptoms and so it was kind of like well you can't be because your periods are still here but we now know it's much more this fluctuating up and down for potentially a decade before that final period or the year after the final period which is obviously the definition of menopause um now those changes are going to cause problems you know to sexual well-being if your tissues are less plump they're less lubricated that can lead to pain as well But then what can then happen if you've experienced pain is that your pelvic floor then becomes more reactive and more increased tone, as we would call it. So how we associate more and more stress with our jaw or our shoulders, everything kind of rises up and becomes tighter. The pelvic floor can sort of behave in a similar way. 
especially when there has been pain. So what we sometimes see in clinic is it might have started as a skin problem or a tissue problem, but then the muscles have then reacted. So to treat it, we need to treat the skin and we also need to help the muscles. So those are probably the most common things that I support. Um, I also treat men because men have a pelvic floor as well. Now I'll see yeah. different reasons, different symptoms, but I think it's really important. And children, I also treat children because children can have bladder and bowel problems as well. So I think huge spectrum. I guess is basically the summary, but that's a brief overview of what we're able to support with. And I guess it's especially complicated around menopause, figuring out what's going on. Um, because as you, you mentioned, there's all these changes, there's, there's the hormonal changes, the so changes in estrogen affects so many different things, right? Um, mm, like you mentioned, so the tissues, um, they affect pain, they affect, you know, a variety of things. Mm. And I think, on top of that we've also got aging because i'm sure you see a decline in pelvic health in men mm. as well around age so mm. a lot of the time menopause gets all the blame we find this yeah. in weight gain as well menopause gets all the blame for weight yeah. gain but people are also perhaps more sedentary because they're busier in their career or because yeah. covid's happened and, and work life has changed mm. there's so many different factors going mm. on people you know are um are exercising differently so what would you say kind of like how does menopause specifically affect pelvic floor health? I know you've mentioned estrogen um, can yeah. affect certain things, but how would you say it specifically affects it? Yeah, so absolutely. I think hormones are key, definitely. So estrogen is definitely one of the biggest problems, but testosterone as well. And mm-hmm. when I think about pelvic health, I always think of its overlap with bone health and other things because they are so, I guess, connected in so many ways, or one has a knock-on effect to another um so yes estrogen having a big effect on the tissues but also the kind of aging process as you mentioned and sarcopenia which occurs which is this this decline in uh, you know in our muscles now I was writing this book as I hit my mid-30s and I'm not gonna it was pretty depressing at points because the data really talks about the fact that we've I've kind of hit my peak now and from now on in it's a sort of a downward trajectory now I don't feel old in any way shape or form but I'm aware of these changes and so that's why I think it's being this as proactive as possible that it's not necessarily as you say it's not necessarily what we understand from research is that the changes to our pelvic floor musculature or our biceps triceps whatever skeletal muscle we're talking about it's not necessarily just estrogen based it might be slightly sped up because we don't have as much estrogen or testosterone however it's actually probably just an aging process so that's why I would say to women it's not necessarily your pelvic floor is just falling apart because you're losing estrogen it's probably just because that they are just generally going to get weaker and if we've not done any work and we've potentially had two three children we've also been constipated as well you know you're coming into that time of life on slightly a back foot and therefore it's never too late and I see that in clinic like I literally saw someone last week who's in her late 70s and she's seen a few people and never managed to connect with her pelvic floor we did a few different things and she was like she's emailed me this week being like I think I finally got it and she's in her late 70s. So it's literally never too late. But I think if we are trying to be proactive and support women during the midlife, these are things that we do need to think about. Um, but yeah, so I guess it's it's a multitude of things that often like weave in. But I think when we just blame hormones, it feels very disempowering because it's like, well, there's yeah. nothing I can do about that. Or I can take HRT. Brilliant. And I think if we talk about hormones just briefly, I think again HRT is a whole massive topic and it's not something I'm a specialist in however I think what I do work with women is to understand that there's different varieties and if we are just dealing with pelvic floor symptoms actually you're feeling pretty well in every other element 
you can just use an estrogen in the vagina. You don't have to have a patch. You don't need to have a gel. You don't have to what we'd call systemic HRT, which is moving through the whole body. You can have a very low dose. And because there's more estrogen receptors in the vulva and vaginal area, actually a little bit there can make a huge amount of difference. So that's something maybe to explore with your GP. It's just called a topical estrogen or a vaginal estrogen. They literally can be life-changing. So a good thing to kind of just be aware of. Amazing. And I think I want to dig a bit deeper into the lifestyle because I think mm. this is the same battle we have with a lot of people thinking it's once they're here, it's about getting older and it's about menopause. They think, yeah. oh, there's nothing I can do. I'm just, this, this is just, it's a decline, you know, I'm on the way out and all of these thoughts start coming. Yeah. The body's down. But I, I find at least in the, the kind of space we work in, in you know, weight loss and, and health and fitness and strength, lifestyle is a huge factor. We've had clients mm-hmm. who, have felt better in their 50s than they did in their late 20s in terms of strength yeah. and fitness um, yeah. and they never thought that was possible because of you know the things they were or were not doing so how what kind of key lifestyle factors do you see either helps or hinders pelvic floor health yeah so I think the hardest so exercise is amazing and actually I resonate with that because I started lifting weights after both of my kids like properly and I yeah. feel the strongest I feel now. And I think, again, when I was getting into having kids, it was kind of this narrative in this fear that once you have kids, again, it's like game over. You're never going to have the time you've had again. It's just being smart with the time you've got. And I don't exercise you know, that much. I don't have loads of time, but I feel like now I lift weights and it, it's just so much more efficient. And I think that's something I'd really encourage women. The problem is if you have pelvic floor symptoms, say you leak or you have a prolapse and you're probably been told not to lift anything heavy because that's still the narrative that we have. Yeah. And that's there for a good reason, because obviously prolapse can be as a result of because not managing our what we call intra-abdominal pressure correctly. So straining, you know, pushing down as we lift a weight and things like that. So it's not that the lifting weights is necessarily the problem, but it's the technique of how we lift the weights or how we grade into weightlifting and things like that. Yeah. So, but it can be a big barrier. People can be like, well, I'm not going to do it because actually it could make it worse. So pelvic health can be a huge barrier to doing the lifestyle stuff that actually arguably could probably help get things better. And that's why I think women need to be really supported to know how to look after the pelvic health to get in. So I think exercise is important, um, particularly lifting weights or resistance training for all that bone density element, because we can see through research that we can reverse, you know, even women who've say got osteopenia, which is kind of the precursor to osteoporosis, we can still make changes to bone density by loading. We can actually kind of reverse those changes. So it literally is never too late to make those changes. And it's not all downhill, despite the narrative that's still there. Yes, nutrition, protein, like we know we need for muscles. We need that nutrition. We need that. But I think gut health, and I know there's so much out there now, isn't there? There's so many discussions about gut health. Yeah. But, and I think we are only on like the tip of the iceberg of understanding. But I see so many changes. But I guess then what feeds into that is not just our nutrition, but our stress and, uh, you know, boundaries with work and everything like that. And I think, and also our mind and our psychology and our life. I think what I always want people to think about is that you are one body. So though we might separate it into your nutrition, your pelvic floor, your work, you know, actually all these things are feeding into one body and your mind and your body are completely connected all the time. Um, and so I think as being as holistic as possible is really important, but I think I align with everything that you talk about in the sense of movement, nutrition, life, stress management. These are the key things. Um, but I don't say it's easy. 
I say this yeah. sat here looking pretty exhausted and not quite having the balance yet. And it's something I'm really working on because I know I need to do it now to help in another 10 years when life will probably be different, more manic and slightly more different and I'll be perimenopausal. Yeah, we, and we have loads of clients who are look still looking after their children. Maybe they're a bit older now, but they're yes. still got parent responsibilities, even if they're university age or they're yeah. working. But they've also then got aging parents they're looking after. It, yeah. it's, it's manage. So let's, let's talk about what you can do about the pelvic floor specifically, because I think mm. all that stuff we talked about lifestyle-wise will help. Because if you eat yeah. enough protein, you'll maintain your muscle better. If you mm-hmm. sleep better, you recover better. And all of that stuff links in, as you said, it's holistic. What specifically can be done um, about pelvic floor? I think we've all heard of pelvic floor exercise. Maybe don't know mm-hmm. what they mean or how to do them. Is that the best place to start? Like, what would you recommend to someone who's maybe got a few symptoms and isn't, you know, maybe yeah. they're too afraid to go and lift the weights or push themselves in with exercise because they have issues? Yeah, great question. So, yes, from research, what we understand at the minute is that we do need to do, if we have symptoms, we need to do isolated pelvic floor work to help treat those symptoms. So pelvic floor exercises they used to be kind of called kegels you'll still probably hear that banded around um i think where we've come is we used to be focused on predominantly treating incontinence and it was just about like make sure you squeeze your pelvic floor now like all other muscle groups we're acknowledging that probably just focusing on squeezing is a bit dysfunctional in itself in the same way you'd never be like i'm just going to squeeze my biceps squeeze my biceps squeeze it you'd always work through range and um, obviously we know that in the fields that we are but the the kind of narrative again was very much like just focus on squeezing to stop leaking but now we know that obviously there's everything's on a spectrum so yes we want to though i kind of talk about it a bit like a puzzle so there are kind of four parts of this puzzle there is strength there is flexibility, there's endurance, and there's coordination. And when we're doing our training, we need to think about all of those bits within the pelvic floor. So yes, strength, but if you can't let go, and I see that an awful lot with women that I work with, is that actually they can squeeze a bit, but they just don't know how to connect with letting go. So actually, I'd encourage everyone to start with breathing, like diaphragmatic breathing. I don't know if you guys do that kind of with women within your training. I imagine that you do. That you're just really getting that breath down into the lower rib cage, let the tummy relax, and then also do some visualizations to help the pelvic floor work. Things like, can you think about the vagina opening? Can you think about letting your coccyx release, your back passage releasing? Any of these things that can help you connect with the let go. Then to squeeze, depending on what we're treating, essentially, and we can all do them now if we're listening, no one around you should know because it's a totally internal feeling. But either thinking about holding wind, so squeezing around your kind of anus, your back passage, or thinking about that movement kind of coming forward, so squeezing around your back passage and bringing it kind of forwards towards your pubic bone. So less kind of up and into the body, but more kind of forwards in the body. And what you should feel is a very gentle tightening around the back passage and the vagina and then letting go. Or if you're a man, kind of just around the front. The the, the male research has talked about the idea of shortening the penis, actually drawing it into the body. And obviously I don't really know what that thinks, but men are like, (laughs) oh, that makes total sense. So, you know. If there's men listening, you can try that too. So that's how we engage with our pelvic floor. And we just kind of, different ways we can exercise. And probably if you want a full program, that's something to either see someone one-to-one because we need it to be personalized. But you can absolutely start engaging with these muscles and try and put it into play. To say if you are lifting, you can do things like if you're feeling confident, things like as you kind of come up. So say you're in a deadlift position, you go down. As you come up, you can think about gently engaging your pelvic floor. But before you do that, I'd probably encourage do it in sitting, do it in lying, build up to doing it in standing and then put it into function. And that's what we would support. I examine women in standing so I can see what they're doing. I sometimes get them doing a squat, doing a deadlift while I check what's going on. So there's so many dimensions as to how, but 
yes that's a good place but there's no point of doing that if you're also constipated and straining five days of the week so that's when that fiber and the nutrition but also potentially checking whether your pelvic floor is relevant to your bowel problems as well so that's where to start i thought that was a really fascinating thing in the book actually um i know i mentioned it before we recorded but how bowel issues so not being able to go to the toilet constipation can contribute to pelvic floor i'd never put two and two together maybe again that's that seems really obvious yeah, to a lot of people but really considered how the organs can kind of all push on each other so how how yeah. how does that factor in for people yeah so essentially yeah our bladder i think we often think about the vagina being this very open held tube <laughs> but actually the at rest the, the walls just uh, flop onto each other and obviously expand as needed but essentially therefore your bladder which is by the front wall of the vagina and your bowel which is by the back wall of the vagina again they're very close together so if you're then backed up with stool which is being stored in the rectum and it can get bigger and bigger i mean the bowel will just keep stretching and it'll just keep filling if it's not coming out so for some people, we can lead to kind of a more overstretched rectum. Now, that's definitely what we want something to print. That's why it's so important that we keep the bowels moving. But essentially, if you imagine that stool sitting there, that can then sit on the bladder and put pressure. And that can increase symptoms of urgency or frequency or, or leakage. But also, if we're then struggling to open, we're just straining, straining, straining. We're pushing down not only on the muscles, which can weaken them, but the vaginal walls. And that's why it can then be connected with things like prolapse as well. So really i mean basically i always joke but everything comes back to our bowels <laughs> you know i'm always like let's start there um but i always talk about why movement's so important because essentially for our bowels we need the pelvic floor to do the right thing but we need what comes round with our nutrition but also movement helps what we call per peristalsis which is the contraction of the smooth muscle of the bowel to move the poo along a bit like a sausage machine that's how we describe it so we need all of those things again. So again, why that kind of thinking about your nutrition and it might help your bowels, which then indirectly helps your pelvic health. And that's why it's all just like in this lovely weave together, uh, but often has these key pillars underneath. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Again, we have a holistic approach. You obviously do as well. I think it's so important because people think, totally. you know, I another thing we come across is like sleep problems. Mm. People are not able to sleep. But they're also just sat down all day and they're not yes. tired. So you movement comes into so many things if you want to have better sleep which will then help with better reduce cravings which will then make better food choices which then hopefully lead yeah. to them. like it all links one thing i really want to know because i i think when you don't have issues with the bowel you think this is obvious again but some people are going days and days without passing a stall or it's all over the place you know it might be a few times a day and then nothing like what is the ideal situation because obviously this can mm. affect the pelvic floor and it's important for health mm. anyway what's what's kind of ideal would you say is there an ideal situation yeah there is so we we classify normal which i kind of hate the term normal but as like three times a day or every three days so there is variety within right. what we'd call normal so you know, obviously going three times a day can also feel like quite a lot, but that can be within the realms of normal. Mm -hmm. I was based on like, does it feel problematic for you as well? I mean, I think most of us, if we haven't been for three days, are starting to get pretty uncomfortable. Um, and for a lot of us, but I think it's also normalizing that if you don't go every day, that's also okay. Because I think sometimes when I, I talk a lot about starting in childhood and a lot of beliefs and kind of things that we're told by our parents like you need to poo every day you need to go to the toilet every morning and so some people get into these habits of just going to the toilet and sitting there for ages waiting to poo or straining to force themselves to poo really what we should be doing at any stage is feeling the urge and listening to that and going as and when is right for us so 
really if it's pushing kind of that three days and you're really not going you don't get the urge that's when we might need to think about do we need to encourage the use of a gentle laxative and things like that but that's kind of the normal ranges and i guess people should also make sure that they're ticking the fundamentals of hydration fiber intake totally 100 percent. again three pillars fluid fiber and movement for your bowels and if those three things are not working but i also think fiber is a really interesting one because the guidelines are like 30 grams of fiber a day now i'm i'm sort of person i'm like what on earth does that mean like that's not very object i can't actually put that into practice very easily so what i often encourage people to do is start being like there's quite a lot of charts online where you can kind of compare how much fiber like things like pears and apples have a really high amount but you're not going to just going to eat five apples a day because no. that may also not go so well for you but you also need variety in that but you know just thinking about and i'm sure you talk about this just kind of things you can add to your meal yeah even like add flax seeds to your porridge or have an apple as your snack or add pear into your porridge there's so many ways that we can weave fiber in it doesn't mean that we can only eat nuts and salad it just means that we need but i think start learning about how much fiber is in each thing because it's amazing how much we almost need to consume to hit that 30 grams um but i generally find once we get to that we it makes a big difference but again if we're dehydrated because the bowel essentially is big role of it's to reabsorb water into the body so we don't become dehydrated it's going to the body will always prioritize itself in the sense of keeping everything all the key organs alive therefore it will always reabsorb water and it'll kind of deprioritize out your bowels so that's why you've got to keep that level up to keep everything happy and obviously different times of the year you're going to need more if you're sweating more if you're exercising and things like that and i thought it's it's really fascinating that i, I already forgot again that movement is key to get the bowel moving it's, it's <laughs> what i do anyway because it's you know it's my, my hobby exercise and nutrition yeah a lot of people are very static now especially since covid yeah have so many clients who are on the computer all day back-to-back meetings oh, yeah out the house and it's another reason i think as well as managing weight and health there's another reason mm. i think this pelvic floor conversation that you need movement and i don't know is there a point yeah. where people are afraid to move because they've got such severe pelvic floor symptoms that they they won't go out and do things have you found that before absolutely you know if you're actually become you need a wee very urgently and you're not sure where the toilets are you can become very scared to go out and especially particularly with bowels you know if you've got fecal urgency or less awareness of needing a poo the thought of going out is quite terrifying or the thought of exercising is quite terrifying because it might stimulate you need to go even more um so you know that can feel quite worrying in itself um but equally you know some women do leak urine as they simply walk down the road so they're kind of like why would i go out and do that because that's really hard for me as well. And I think that's where it's really important that perfect exercise may not be the whole answer. That maybe we need a what we call a vaginal pessary or we need another adjunct to help with that incontinence. But for me, the 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 baseline should always be keeping women moving and we should be putting everything into the pot to keep that happening. What we should not be doing is saying, well just don't move in order to prevent these symptoms. That's not the answer, but sadly still such a huge part of the narrative. But when you look at the statistics for later life, I, I don't know how we can give that advice because if we are an aging population, which we are, yeah. most of my grandmothers lived into their 90s. So I'm hoping I can do the same, but I want to be able to get off the toilet easily and I want to not fracture my hip. Now that work has to start now. And if we're telling women in their late 30s, 40s, because they've got a prolapse, you shouldn't lift anything. Or 
we're not supporting this and they're becoming afraid to do that which is no judgment that's a completely natural human response to a difficult situation we are we are causing a detriment to their later life well and now but also later life and so you know i i love that there's people like you who are supporting women to do that and break down the barriers but pelvic health is a huge barrier and so we all need to work together i think to provide that support if it's relevant and I believe it's probably relevant to all of us in some way, shape or form. And maybe you started doing this from the book, but you start, as you say, you only know what you know. So you don't know if a symptom is relevant until you hear about it. And then suddenly you're like, wait, that's me. Is that a thing? I just thought that was normal. And I've probably not talked to anyone because it's a little bit embarrassing. Yeah. And then it kind of just becomes the norm. And when, when would you suggest then people start, because I know the book goes all the way from childhood all through, but when would you suggest people yeah. start with something like, pelvic floor exercises because I know there's all the other stuff we talked about but that sounds like something that's fairly fundamental to to do for everyone at some point I think as soon as you hear about it and and you know you can in the same way all other elements I'd say of our kind of movement and health I think if you're starting to prioritize your movement then bring your pelvic floor exercises into that whether it's in your cool down or your warm-up or associated with something that you do sometimes I get people to put a sticky dot on their laptop and every time they see it they do a few or you can get reminder apps or set your own reminder so the sooner the better but it's never too late so there's always that like I think women are like well let me just engage <laughs> or I think the other thing we do to women who are really busy and this happens to myself included we say to them do something three times a day and I'm like I barely eat three times a day <laughs> don't tell me to do anything else three times a day so I'm a real believer on on little, like associate it to something. So if you're managing to incorporate training three days a week, initially associate it with that because it's then just a small add-on to something you're already doing. If you can scale it from there, great, but just bring in the bare minimum. You know, depending on what stage of life you're in, sometimes the school run, the red traffic lights are a great prompt because you're just so busy in the car the whole time. You know, if you've got smaller children and, you know, then something that they do, like when you're in the park pushing the swing for the thousandth time, that's quite a nice time to do it. If you've got grandchildren, you're probably doing the same. And actually, I was thinking about as you're saying that, like when my mum was in her early 60s, obviously I was in my I was having my kids, but she also had two older a mother and a mother in law. So she kind of had her kids. She had a grandmother's and she had her grandkids. And so she was kind of like looking after all of us. And I mean, that's when in her 60s. So, I, you know, really this, the, the busyness can be like a good 20 odd years. Um, and she's now just started Pilates again because actually she's kind of finally like, oh, I've got a bit more time. Um, and that's great. It, you know, that's great. She's doing it at that stage. But I think whatever stage you are, it's just so important to just to bring it in if you can. I think that's a great recommendation to tag it into something else. Like there's a, mm. you probably read it. Atomic Habits is a great book by James. Yes. And he talks about habit stacking, which is where you tie habits yeah. that you're already doing because otherwise yeah, I, I'm not as busy as people. It's not going to happen. But yeah, when's it going to happen? So with clients, we often recommend that. So maybe like you said, if you're training, you could do it in the rest period. Because a lot of the time, if you're doing yeah. muscle groups, you're not, you're not exhausted between sets. So you've got 30, 40. No. And you could do... 10 squeezes in there 10 reps yeah job done so I think that's a really good point try and find somewhere to put it in that's already happening where it's a little bit of yes downtime um perhaps if, if people have got no yeah not downtime but a little bit of use time you could use for something else which I think yeah. is stressful to hear because it's like I'm already doing so much but I, it, you know as you said if you can get in the habit I think that will become a lot easier for people 
100%. I mean, I'm in stage of life where I'm trying to do less, not more. Yeah. So whenever anyone says to me, do more, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm trying to like find boundaries, not add in more. So that's why I'm a real believer. And I look back at myself when I was like in my early 20s giving out exercises to people. And I sort of laugh at that version of myself being like saying to mums, like, here you go, here's these exercises, do them three times a day. And just never going to happen. And so, and I think what we then do is we make people, we set people up for a failure, then they feel like a failure. None of us want to feel like a failure. So we just disengage. Whereas I'm a real believer of like, you tell me what you can do, and I'm going to make this work for that. Rather than being like, you work to my program, we need to work to your program. And so I think that's such an important thing that all of us do in this space is um, make it manageable. You know, even things like if you're doing a bit of meal prep, sometimes I say, you know, if you're stirring, I don't know, your rice or whatever it is. Again, prompt it. If your meal prep is a good time and you're just stood in the kitchen, you're generally on your own, <laughs> if that ever really happens. It's quite a nice time just to do a few. And that's why I believe in making pelvic floor exercises as functional as possible, as quickly as possible, like doing them in standing, because most of us are not sat down. We might be working, but most of us don't sit down recreationally for a long time in our day. If I'm lying down, I'm asleep. Mm. If I'm sitting down, I'm generally doing homework or a task or a work email. So it has to be something that I can then flex into the rest of my day. So getting you functional is absolutely vital. And that was an interesting point as well, because I think I've always imagined pelvic floor exercises to be something you do sitting or lying. But I think is it is yeah. a question to start with those and then you move into standing. Yeah, it's easier to connect with. So it's something you've never done. A bit like how, you know, in training, like if you're kind of starting to work on the glutes, we sometimes start with the shoulder bridge or something just to work on form and technique. Yeah. I mean, that's very rehab brain, physio brain um then we'd come into kind of the squats and look at movement and stuff like that it's the same sort of principle it can be very hard to connect with so if you're standing is the hardest generally so lying or sitting you might just start to feel that connection and then you can translate it into standing amazing and look i i know you're busy i don't want to um, take up too much of your time today but there's so much more in your book so um i'd highly recommend people go and check that out we'll put links in the bio but what where else can people go to kind of find out more about this more about you more about the work you're doing and get help for their pelvic floor yeah so um my website's probably great I kind of have different blogs on there that are kind of helpful or link to see me kind of clinically or virtually if people want support I think what's important to know is that if you do decide to go private with a physio you don't have to sign up for 10 sessions you can maybe just have a one-off and learn a lot about your body so um, my website is purely just my name, claire-born.com, or I share a lot on social media now, just to trying to break down some of these conversations, make it very visual and very relevant. Um, so I'm Clareborn Physio on socials. Um, I'm hoping to start more YouTube to give a bit more like longer term education, like really talk people through how to do perfect exercises, because I think, again, you don't necessarily need to see someone one to one if you actually have a really good education. So but yeah, I really hope the book supports people because it really is aimed, you can dip in and out. But again, if you're like a grandmother, the childhood stuff could be quite relevant if you're supporting your, your grandkids with potty training. Um, also, you might want to talk, I've had like women in their 60s be like, oh, I'm actually going to talk to my daughter. She's just about to have a baby. And actually, I didn't think to t- talk to her about this stuff. So I've tried to write it so it can really support any of us, whatever life stage or partners or or husbands or, you know, whoever it might be. Um, or if you work in the industry, you know, we should all be knowing this. And I think you probably agree, like within... I mean, my physio degree didn't have enough of this. So I know that then if we're training kind of trainers or coaches, we, you know, you might have like one mention of it, but there's probably not enough depth for you to be screening and, and supporting women with that. And I just view it as we are one big team. So we all, if we can all just upskill all the time, we're all going to support all of our clients better. Definitely. I don't think the personal training courses I did 
ever mentioned menopause, ever mentioned pelvic floor, or if they no. did pelvic health, it was such a passing thing that immediately just yeah yeah they don't they don't get anywhere near in depth enough and that's obviously again why your book is longer because there's so much to learn and I did think it's fascinating yeah it covers everything from children which again I haven't considered how even psychologically you can you can have a big effect on someone's pelvic health for their whole life by how you bring up children so saying yeah you need to go to the loops for going out every time and that, that that can make them have issues all the way through to menopause and all the way through to old age as well. So I think it's an amazing resource. Um, Thank I, I'm, you. I'm listening to the audio book, not the physical book, because it just find yes. it easy to fit into my life. But um, I'm sure both are. Exactly. Perfect. So I'll put the links in the, in the bio, but I just want to say thank you so much for, um, for joining oh, us. Thanks for having me. Uh, and hopefully we'll have you back again at some point to answer some more questions on this definitely just let me know so thank you for listening to today's episode of the trinity podcast if you've enjoyed today's episode don't forget to hit that subscribe button inside your podcast app so you don't miss future shows and also please leave us a quick review it only takes two minutes we do all of these shows completely for free to help you so we'd really appreciate a quick review if it's helped you at all so thank you again so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for the next episode of the trinity podcast